0: Christ, God in the flesh,
1: for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this
2: is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline.
1: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar. Oh, who's that Vicar over there today? Oh, it's Timothy Steele II. Uh, I always have uh, former Vicar Golden in my brain when we have that uh, goofy little intro. And uh, oh, I don't know, if we, had the, if we had the time and the technology, we could build a new one. But uh, I don't think we're probably quite there yet. So um, we're stuck with it, at least for the time. I hope you're listening, former Vicar Golden. Uh, I hope all is well in Fort Wayne at the seminary. Welcome to Proclaiming the One. Each week we come together, we take a look at the upcoming readings in our church year. And today brings us to the close of a church year. We're looking at the last Sunday of the church here. Some some churches and some lectionaries would call this the um, uh, Sunday of the Fulfillment, Christ the King Sunday. LSB has chosen the uh, very, very nondescript last Sunday in the church here. It is a uh, wonderful, wonderful day as it fixes our eyes on The Imminent Return of Our Lord and Savior Jesus, that we should be ready, that we should be awake. Pastor uh, Moline loves this particular Sunday because the uh, person who picks the hymns here at Good Shepherd is uh, almost really kind of forced to uh, sing the hymn of the day, You're Going to Be Happy. In the new year that's all I can say if you looked at the uh, hymn selections for the first several weeks in Advent you're gonna be very happy Uh, but uh, the hymn of the day is uh, a a hymn that we recently looked at in our sister program at home in your hymnal wake awake for night is flying some of our uh, bumper music today will be from the Bach a cantata on that particular hymn. What's the number of that Bach cantata, Pastor? 140. 140. So if people go to uh, BVD, is that what it is? BWV. BWV BWV140. Uh, and in any google or uh yep you'll find um, it duck and- duck go or any of those uh, search engines and it'll pop up lots of different options for you and uh, it is majestic it truly is it may sound a little familiar to you because uh people will use this for wedding music uh very very appropriate and um uh probably because of the gospel reading that talks about a wedding. So, um, again, the last Sunday in the church here is upon us. Matthew 25, 1 to 13, a familiar and yet, (coughs) excuse me, sometimes puzzling parable. Vicar? Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be
2: like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. For you know neither the day nor the hour.
1: Okay, there you have it. The parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. This is uh, always one of the gospel readings uh, almost in any particular lectionary uh, as we get toward the close of the church year. Uh, series A in LSB, in the three year series, has a uh, prominent. Uh, reading of this particular text as well, and um, it it is a kingdom parable. Jesus tells us what meaning he wants us to get by the last line in the uh, text in verse thirteen, and we want to uh, we want to pick this apart just a little bit, Pastor. This is uh, this is always one of those parables where unless you know a little bit about some of the wedding customs in first century Palestine area in there, uh, you, you may miss what's going on here. You may get the wrong point. Before we get into that, um, Matthew 25, we have the last great discourse of Jesus in Matthew sometimes referred to as the the end-of-the-world discourse. Can you tell us in a big picture what's going on in these latter chapters in Matthew before we get to Passion Week?
0: Well, um, yeah, Jesus in this uh, end-of-the-world discourse, as you called it, is talking about that, the end of the world. And the bottom line, I guess, would be that Jesus is coming back. Uh, you know, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, he'll be back. I'll be back. <clears throat> um, now you said talk talk about what's happening. You know, before the final Passion Week, this is actually Jesus is preaching us during Holy Week, okay, uh, on the Temple, and so he's already ridden into
1: Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So this is between uh, Palm yes. Sunday and Monday, Thursday. Correct. And we don't so, know exactly when, but it's it's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right in there.
0: And it, it falls right into um, this perfectly because part of it, Jesus is talking about the temple itself when he's talking about the end of the world. And so it's in chapter 21 that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Thank, thank um, you for and, clarifying and that. And then we have Jesus is in Jerusalem and... He's talking about the temple and how it'll be destroyed in chapter 24. That comes right after uh, our Lord wept over Jerusalem. uh, And and traditionally, this takes place on the Mount of Olives, uh, not far from where Jesus uh, just rode into town. Um, And it'd be where they're camping as well. Um, and, and that's a really great overlook of the city of Jerusalem. You could have seen the temple. You could have seen all the homes. The whole city would be uh, visible from that location, and that's where then traditionally he laments over Jerusalem. And then he preaches a lot about the fact that the world is going to come to an end and that he's going to come back uh, alive uh, to judge the living and the dead
1: and to take those who have faith in Christ uh to their eternal reward, I guess. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that. That sets the wider context for what's going on. Uh, Sometimes people, when they study the parables of Jesus, they group or lump the parables in certain ways according to the topic. Jesus says here in Matthew 25, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven will be like... There are many parables that are sometimes referred to as kingdom parables, parables that are specifically connected to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, what are we to be looking for in any one of these kingdom parables? And then we'll get into the specifics of this parable.
0: Well, uh, I guess... the, uh, what the word, What is
1: the kingdom of God or kingdom of right, heaven that he's talking about?
0: And that, that's the thing, right? Uh, to, to, to classify it as a kingdom parable, we'd be saying that it's one of the parables that talks about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like or is like even right now in the sense that all the people who have faith are a part of the invisible kingdom of God. Um, we That includes us then who believe. We are a part of it though we don't fully realize it yet. It's like we have our citizenship card, but we're not in the country yet, uh, and that's still ahead of us. And so it's both future and present, but it includes all the people who have faith in Jesus Christ crucified and risen.
1: Okay, so specifically, we are talking about the church. The church. And that can be the church uh, here. That can be the church in heaven. Uh, different aspects of what this church is is looks like should be characterized is that is that accurate yeah I, I
0: if we're gonna nail it down i'd say it's the invisible church which is all the people who truly have faith and, and the so, holy
1: christian church yes okay uh i think that's helpful now um we uh, we get into the particulars of this uh, parable and we have 10 virgins what what is the difference vicar Uh, between the virgins we've got 10 of them and uh, we've got them lumped into two different categories what are those categories
2: you have the foolish virgins and you have the wise virgins
1: okay so we got foolish and we got wise we have talked a lot uh, during the year pastor especially when we get into the Old Testament texts um, with regard to um, the wisdom of God uh, the foolishness of god we had a couple of passages on uh, the book of proverbs that kind of brought that out and we came to the bottom line saying uh people that are foolish indicate no faith and people that are wise that's kind of code word for faith is that uh, can we carry that biblical theme over into this particular parable yes Okay, so keep that in mind as we're, we're reading this. This is a picture of faith versus unfaith. All right, Pastor, you see the clock. You know how much time we have here. You've got that much time to give us wedding practices at this time of the uh, uh At this time in our calendar, and at this particular place, yeah.
0: Historically speaking, you know the the parts that we know, um, the the father of the bride, um, and we're not talking Steve Martin there, but the father of the bride will come to a contract with the groom where he'll agree to give his daughter to be married to the man, and they'll sign a formal contract. And at that point, then, the man's job is to make sure he has a home prepared for that wife to live in, to uh, the, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so he's preparing a place for that to take place, a home. Uh, so he ma- gets the home going, uh, and a part of the construction is is that they build a special bridal cham- chamber, a temporary one, on the outside of the home as well. When everything is ready, the father of the bride goes to inspect the house uh, and make sure that his daughter's going to be well taken care of. And if everything's up to snuff, the two of them then go together to pick up the bride, uh, and that will be the day of her wedding. Of course, all the other things are ready and waiting for that day, but it, it's not like today where you get to save the date for June 30th or whatever. Uh, it, it can be whenever the groom gets everything squared away into order to the father's liking. And so that's the aspect of we don't know when it will be. When the groom shows up, uh, they carry the bride and the groom to the new house. Uh, All the family and friends gather together outside the bridal chamber, and the two go in. They consummate the marriage, and when it's proved to be consummated, then a big party starts that can last several days at least. Um, and so that's the whole idea of waiting, uh, and then the joy of the wedding that takes place, and the celebration of the community at this uh, couple being united together.
1: The uh, the things that strike me about these particular wedding customs is um, the consummation of the marriage between a husband and a wife is, uh, is celebrated, it is, uh, it is a gift of God, and it seems to me in this day and age, it is something that people have no idea uh, why this is such a big deal, and uh, it's really, really a shame that uh, the I-do is uh, so meaningless for so many people in our world today. We need to take a short break. This is proclaiming the one. We're looking at the readings for the last Sunday of the church here. Don't change that dial. You are
0: listening to K and P 95.7 FM Lincoln Nebraska
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the last Sunday in the church here. You heard uh, Bach, uh, what did we say, Uh, 160? 140. 140, uh, based on Wake Awake. For night is flying great great hymn and uh, we'll be singing that oh, i hate to give it away but we'll be singing that hymn not only on the last sunday of the church here we'll be singing it uh, first week or two in advent we'll also be singing it on our new year's eve service and uh, if pastor moline has any complaints about the hymn selection with regard to this hymn he needs to take it right to the top that's all i can say
0: We'll we'll talk to God for
1: (laughs) it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, In our first segment, we looked at a lot of things with regard to the end of the world discourse that we're in here in uh, Matthew 25. We talked about parables in general and specifically the kingdom of heaven parables. We have... uh, marriage customs at this particular time uh, in history and at this location, and we also talked about the difference between wisdom and foolishness, as is recorded in Scripture, faith versus unfaith. Okay, so Vicar, let's uh, just be reminded of some of these uh, details here. Uh, In verse 3, what is the characteristic of the foolish virgins?
2: Well, when they go and they take their lamps, they don't bring extra oil with them.
1: Okay, so no extra oil means uh, they are assuming that the bridegroom is going to come during the day, or that he's going to come quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that fair, Pastor?
0: Yeah, I'd say what it is is that they are unprepared. They they don't they don't do the things necessary. As if uh, the bridegroom can arrive. In the middle of the night, or at any moment, right? They just are
1: unprepared in general, and I think that's a key thing. They're they're not ready for it. Okay, so they're unprepared in general. They're not thinking about all the possibilities, uh, and are making some you know maybe kind of lazy assumptions with regard to when the bridegroom comes. And then in verse four, it says, "But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps." As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Pastor, is it significant that all ten virgins, both the wise and the foolish, slept?
0: I think it is. I think it matches a lot with how we see things happening in the church today, where there's a a lot of apathy, a lot of Uh, unconcernedness—is that a word, Um, unconcernedness—and in the sense that they're all kind of sleepy, and that's what happens when you wait, you know? uh, When you're waiting for someone to come, oftentimes it's kind of boring, it's kind of uneventful, and uh, we in the church have been waiting for 2,000 years, and sometimes I think we do have a little bit of apathy, and yet um, the— these five that bring the oil, they're they're eager for it to happen, and they're ready for it to happen whenever it ha- does come, whenever the bridegroom shows up,
1: and I think that's a result of the faith they have. Okay, um, I I was thinking, and and thank you for that. I was thinking that uh, you know all people sleep. You know, it's just a part of natural life. You know, we can't stay awake 24-7 waiting for Jesus to come back. We go through our vocations. We eat. We drink. We sleep. We live our life. But at the same time, we are prepared with that oil of faith. Right. Is uh, is the oil faith? Is the oil the word and sacrament? Uh, Is it a both and? Uh, You know, I I really would struggle to just say the oil is something like faith.
0: I think it is indicates that there is faith there and that they're eager for the bridegroom to arrive and they're ready for it. And I, I think that is a result of them having faith. But um, I wouldn't want to say that the oil is faith in the sense that, uh, you know, the foolish ones are going to go try and buy it or whatever and try to get it at the last minute Um It's not that way with the end of the world. When Christ comes, I think that the key is the trumpet will sound, and we're either ready or we're not ready. And uh, that's not something that can be changed at the last minute. We're either ready or not ready, and that's the warning.
1: In uh, verse 8, Vicar, the uh, foolish virgins realize that there's a problem. And uh, so what request do they make of the wise ones?
2: They want some of the wise ones' oils because their lamps are going out.
1: Okay, (laughs) sounds like a reasonable request. Uh, Hey, 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 our lamps are going out. Give us some of your oil. Now, we're not talking about giant, big, honking lamps here, are we, Pastor? We're not. um, In fact, uh,
0: if you go to Holy Land and to any of the stores that they have there, uh, they'll try and sell you some of the uh, lamps that they have because there's many, many archaeological uh, examples of this. They're little clay lamps, probably fit in the palm of your hand. You fill with oil uh and they they burn it's kind of like a little flashlight you don't want a big huge one because it's hard to carry around and to keep going and it's a fire danger right you break a little lamp you have a little bit of a fire you break a giant lamp you have a big fire so uh think about the size of a coffee cup not that shape of course but that's how much oil is probably in one of these lamps
1: i i have in my mind uh, the size of a regular yo-yo is that about? There,
0: yeah, there's some that are that size. There's even some small enough. Uh, the the idea would be that you tie them to the end of your foot, on the top of your foot, uh, which brings to mind the words of Scripture. Uh, your words are a lamp to my feet. Uh, that's the idea there. And so little lamps, uh, you don't need a whole lot of light. You just need enough to see where you're walking.
1: Okay. So the, the people who look at this uh, parable critically— and look at it from 20th, 21st century American principles, they go, oh, those wise virgins, they were so mean. They didn't want to share their faith. They didn't want to evangelize. They didn't want to tell the good news about Jesus. Uh, Why are those kind of critiques um, missing the mark, Pastor?
0: Well, um, just imagine a wedding today, where you have a time it's gonna be and it's getting ready to start and you have the the prima donna who says you need to wait for me while I go across the street and have a shot or I need to go get this beautiful beautifying thing to wear or whatever, and the whole wedding gets stopped while this bridesmaid does this ridiculous thing, right? Uh, that's the bad manners that that would be. Come get oil. Give me some of your oil, right? It doesn't work that way. The bride and the the groom and their joy at getting married isn't dependent upon the attendance, and you're not going to stop the wedding for the attendance. And so it's kind of a foolish
1: thing and a ridiculous argument to make, I think. Okay, I, I, uh, I like that. Okay, so... Uh, the, the lamps of the foolish virgins are going out, which means they can't make the journey. They can't make the trip um, because it's too dark, too dangerous. Uh, Pastor, is that correct? Yeah, um, they,
0: they don't, they're not ready. They don't have the oil to keep the lamp lit the whole journey. Uh, they don't uh, have the things to participate in the service. And so now they're running around the last minute trying to fix the problem. And I, from a Christian perspective, this is, of course, indicating um, – when Christ comes back, that's the moment you need to be ready, not three minutes later, not two minutes later, not ten seconds later. You need to be ready when he comes back, because that's when, in a
1: sense, the, the book of life is opened, and your name better be in there or not. At the end of verse 10 of Matthew 25, we, we read, The door was shut. Now, Pastor, when I hear that phrase, the door was shut, I think back to the book of Genesis, I think back to Noah and the ark, and after Noah and his family and the animals are brought in, the door is shut, and God is the one shutting the door on the ark. So um, can I make that parallel? Can I make that connection?
0: I think that's a fair saying. Um, I want to make sure that uh, we understand it properly in the sense that because we're Christians and have faith, this is good news because we're on the inside at the party. Uh, Of course, Christ is telling it not just for Christians, but for the whole world to warn them that you don't want to be on the outside when the door is shut, because you're not going to open the door yourself and get inside. Um, You need to be in the right place at the right time and be aware of that. So for us as Christians, it's good news. We get to experience the wedding feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end. Uh, For those outside, it's bad news. It's judgment. And that judgment is going to happen between believer and non-believer, and whatever the judgment is at that moment it sticks it's permanent you can't undo it and that's
1: the key here wake awake for night is flying that's the whole point of that hymn pastor at the end verse 13 watch therefore for you know not uh, for you know neither the day nor the hour is this is this the clincher is this the uh, the the bottom line impact that Jesus wants us to get out of here? And if so, what does that mean for people today?
0: It, it is it it is the the warning, right? Uh, be ready is essentially is what Jesus is saying, um, and even that being ready is a result of God's work through word and sacrament. And so, don't neglect going to church uh, because you have. Uh, a sports practice or a sports game or a fishing trip. Don't neglect going to church because uh, you're afraid you might get sick or something like that. Don't neglect going to church uh, because you need your beauty sleep on a Sunday morning uh, or because it lasts too long on Wednesday night. Go to church because In church, God gives you the things to make you ready. He pours out his word, preached and read and sung. Uh, He gives the Lord's Supper to feed your faith and forgive sins. He washes you in the waters of baptism and brings you back to the font time and time again so that you are forgiven of all your sins and clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness.
1: Come to church because that's the way you're made ready by God's work. In uh, a few of our hymns, maybe even a part of the liturgy, we talk about the Lord's Supper as the foretaste of the feast to come. Is this a feast to come? Is this this marriage banquet, this marriage celebration that we're, uh, Jesus is referring to in Matthew 25?
0: Yeah, it is the feast that is to come in the sense that it is the eternal wedding banquet of the Lamb where uh, you know, the finest of wines and the best of cheeses is available, as Isaiah says. Yeah, I don't think he talks about cheese, but meats, right? <laughs> um, it's there. That's the wedding feast that is heaven. And yes, the Lord's Supper is a foretaste, and that's key to understand it's the same food in the sense you get the same experience. It's heaven here on earth that takes place in the divine service. And uh, so we, we are participating that already
1: before we even understand the fullness of it. That marriage celebration is made possible through... through... Through the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, he has ascended on high. He promises that at the precise time he will return, and he calls us to be ready. In the meantime, we hear his word which points us to the forgiveness of sins earned by the bloody death and glorious resurrection. We eat and drink at the Lord's Supper the very body and blood that Christ shed for us on Calvary's cross and rose victorious on the grave. It is all one big unit, one big connection, one big celebration. This marriage feast that is God's guarantee for believers, for those who are wise in faith, For those who cling to Jesus in season and out. And he even gives us a preview, a foretaste of that feast to come in his marvelous, marvelous gift of the Lord's Supper. Uh, We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Isaiah 65. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. 95.7
2: FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: welcome back to proclaiming the one pastor poppy pastor moline vicar Steele. we're looking at the readings for the last sunday in the church here uh for our bumper music today we are uh listening to bach cantata 140 it is uh is a marvelous place i think it's uh familiar with many many of our listeners uh pastor the uh the program that you have recorded for bringing Bach back. Do you know an episode number or day in the church year that uh, that particular one is recorded?
0: I, I do not off the top of my head. I'd have to look.
1: Okay, we'll check out the archives of bringing Bach back, and uh, it'll be well noted there. It's last Sunday in the church year, uh, Matthew twenty five, uh, Bach. Cantata 140, all of those things are listed. You can uh, listen to this in its entirety. Amazing, amazing music to help us set the theme. Uh, The end of the world is coming, and Jesus is returning in power and might and glory. There will be a general resurrection of all the dead. Uh, won't be a second chance to believe, but it is good news for believers because Christ himself will usher us into a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth will pass away. And for unbelievers, this is an unbelievably uh, traumatic, difficult thing to comprehend. God says, wake up because the night is almost past believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament reading for the last Sunday in the church here, Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. Vicar.
2: For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. They shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the supper's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
1: Okay, we've got some uh, fairly familiar words here from Isaiah 65. uh, Words that are used in a variety of uh, contexts. That uh, last verse that we heard, uh, verse 25 of Isaiah 65 is often quoted uh, by like United Nations kind of people, world peace kind of people. Can't we just all get along? And uh, again, uh, using Scripture to teach something that Scripture is not really teaching. So what is uh, God through the prophet Isaiah teaching us here in Isaiah 65? Isaiah is, uh, is a long book, 66 chapters. And in the uh, what most people would call the second half of Isaiah, beginning in chapter forty, uh, there's a there's a shift. Same author, same Holy Spirit, but there's a shift. And as we get closer and closer to the end of Isaiah, it's almost like Isaiah is giving us an end of the world discourse as well. Is that uh, is that a fair way to look at the book of Isaiah, Pastor? I think it is. I think he's promising us uh,
0: heaven and showing us what it's going to look like by using words and phrases that we can
1: wrap our feeble human minds around. Okay, and that's what we want to try to analyze today for our hearers is, um, you know, uh, if somebody lives 100 years old and then dies, that's not heaven. Uh, you know, Some of these word pictures that are here must be in reference to something going on humanly speaking at the time of Isaiah and with the people Isaiah is speaking to. But with that prophetic perspective that we often talk about, it's not only talking about the historical thing. It's talking about something bigger and something greater. And um, uh, for behold, verse 17. I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Pastor, that sounds like end of the world talk to me. It is. In fact, it's the same thing that's said in the book of Revelation.
0: Um, And even St. John sees the new Jerusalem, the new heaven coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, referencing the uh, Matthew
1: 25 chapter uh, scripture reading as well. And uh, that's... uh, Revelation 21, Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Um, And then we have a section here that is contrasting the absolute sheer joy and gladness of future events with the pain and heartache and sorrow that people generally experience. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. Just listen to all this happiness talk. And her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The contrast then comes, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Pastor, what's the point of this contrast that the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah is painting for us?
0: Well, um, it's It's painting a contrast between the reality that the people are experiencing at that time versus the reality of what they will experience in God's eternal kingdom. We have to put this into a historical context, right? So uh, Isaiah, according to Isaiah 1, is writing and prophesying during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, And you'll remember Hezekiah in Isaiah, uh, as well as in the book of Kings, we have the account of Jerusalem being surrounded by its enemies. And this is kind of the period where, uh, essentially, Israel goes from being an independent nation to being a uh, dependent state or a protectorate of both the Babylonian um, kingdom and also then the Egyptian kingdom. They're kind of stuck in the between of those two people fighting each other. And so they're losing their independence. They still have their kings, but their kings are— Dependent upon paying off the people who are bigger and badder that are right next to them, and so uh, they see kind of the decline of their kingdom taking place, and they see all these struggles, and they know what's going to happen and what's coming uh, in, in a certain sense. And Isaiah is comparing that with the joy and peace and comfort that God is going to give in His eternal
1: kingdom. We uh, we have these kings that have become nothing more than weak vassals. People are being carried off into captivity. Uh, there is very little to be happy about. There is very little to be joyful about. And so God is saying, uh, don't give up. Don't give up. Joy awaits. Joy awaits at the end of the journey. He uh, uh, he goes on to talk about, uh, again, expanding on this contrast between the things that make you weep and the things that give you joy. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. in, in verse 22, Pastor, It says, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Uh, What is that in reference to? it's in
0: reference to the the warfare of the ancient world in the sense that you might build a house and uh, a bigger, badder army will come and drive you out of it, and you'll be forced to wander around and they'll live there instead. Or even you plant your fields if uh, an enemy army comes up uh, and you're besieged in a city, a stronghold, uh, they're going to steal all your food and your harvest while you're in there protecting yourself. And so it's just a reality of the time. And instead of that, God is promising that... You get to live in your house, and you'll be safe and cared for and provided for. You'll get to eat the things that you plant. And I think it's worth pointing out in verse 17 at the very beginning of this, God is creating this new heavens and this new earth using the same word that he uses in Genesis 1 uh, when he created the heavens and the earth. And so, again, God is giving this gift. It's uh, completely of his mercy
1: and grace. By the power of the word, let there be. Uh, There's a, a shift going on now in verse 23. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, (coughs) excuse me, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. That sounds like messianic talk, Pastor. What's happening here?
0: I think it is messianic talk, and it's uh, faith talk again. You know, we have faith, and therefore we are children of Abraham. We're children of God. We are baptized into his holy name. Uh, And so he's talking about us in that regard, that we have faith, and therefore— uh, we're not laboring in vain, building things that will be destroyed or burned down, like in riots. Uh, we're, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we are the offspring of the blessed children. We don't bear children in vain. I think about that, you know, um, as a parent. You have these kids, and what's going to happen to them in the world that is ahead of us, right? Are we going to be in a war where my son's going to have to go fight and perhaps die? Uh, Are we going to be uh, driven out of our homes because we voted the wrong way or anything like that? We don't know what's going to happen, and it's possible that our children will be killed, but not with God. Uh, They get to inherit eternal life no matter what things happen here, and that's
1: the good news God's giving. The uh, end here, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. That sounds like uh, like a perfect, intimate um, relationship with God. Is that is that the picture that's being uh, painted? It is, and it, what it shows is that
0: God knows what we need before we're even able to ask and is providing it for us before we're even able to ask.
1: That's the good news. Okay, the uh, often misquoted end of... Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the dust shall be the serpent's food, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Pastor, what's that talking about, and why do people like the um, United Nations folks have it all wrong?
0: Well, it's all about the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, the place we get to live when sin is destroyed at the end of the world. And so uh, it's looking forward to
1: that. It's not something that is going to be accomplished here on earth by human means. Okay. And I think that that last thing you said is the key. We do not bring about peace. We can can strive to live at peace with our family, our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, even our enemies. But peace is created by God, and the ultimate peace is earned by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He earns that peace through his perfect life, his obedient death on Calvary's cross, his glorious resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. He ascended into heaven and says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's exactly the joy that we need to be pointed to during these strange and latter days. We're going to take a look at more of these uh, strange and latter days when we come back, 1 Thessalonians 5. This is Proclaiming the One for the last Sunday of the church year. Don't change that dial.
0: You are listening to LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us on Sunday morning. We worship at 8 and 1030. Family Bible study for all ages in between. We also worship Wednesday evening, year-round, 630. You're always uh, welcome. Everything we do in church is on the radio LP 95.7 right here in Lincoln and surrounding area. You can also check us out on our radio website, TheCross957.org. Church website, GoodShepherdLincoln.org. If uh, you have any technical issues or whatever with our uh, YouTube programming, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media, you can always uh, have as a backup the uh, radio or the internet connection. And uh, we, we are privileged to bring the Proclaiming One programs to you. We've been doing this for four years now. We have four years of Proclaiming the One archived, and we're going to do something a little bit different uh, starting next week. We'll still have available all of our uh, four years of Proclaiming the One based on the one-year church series, one-year lectionary in Lutheran service book. You can check out the archives. They'll be playing on our radio station, but they will be best of Programs, best of programs. We're going to start a new program with the new church here a sister program, proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors. And each week we're going to take a look at one of the minor festivals or feast days in the church year, a few occasions and commemorations, and uh, we're going to be doing something a little different, trying to expand, Uh, and we're really, really looking forward to that. So let us know what you think. And uh, we've got a whole year to decide uh, if we're going to keep up with the best of programming with Proclaiming the One, or if we'll start recording new ones again. So um, uh, thanks for your uh, faithful devotion, and don't stop now. We pray that God would uh, richly bless our efforts in this respect. We want to take a look now at the epistle reading for the last Sunday in the church year, First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Vicar? Now
2: concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing.
1: You know, as we uh, as we hear the end of that uh, epistle reading, First Thessalonians five one to eleven, the epistle reading for the last Sunday in the church here, I'm uh, I'm taken by how Paul is uh, sort of echoing Isaiah here, that we are to encourage one another with these words. Pastor, in our uh, discussion of the gospel reading, the parable of the ten virgins, you said, For Christians, this is a parable of good news. This is a parable of hope. The door being shut is good news for believers. Why do you think that is so hard to keep in mind that when we talk about the end of the world, when we talk about Judgment Day, when we talk about the second coming of Christ, so often we we get a gloom and doom kind of a picture, and it's so hard for us to emphasize the hope and the joy and the peace and the celebration that god clearly teaches in scripture
0: well i think it's because satan is hard at work to build that fear within us as christians it's um Um, maybe a good example would be like when you're a kid and you've done something wrong and you know that your dad is going to come home soon, right? Um, the voice in your head says, you're going to be in trouble when he finds the broken lamp. You're going to be in trouble when he finds you painted your name on the ceiling or whatever it is, right? Uh, You're going to be in trouble when dad gets home. And yet, uh, Satan wants to keep reinforcing that idea within us. And yet the, the good news is, is that, um, the message of Christians is, is that God already knows what we've done and he's already forgiven it and punished Christ in our place. And we just get the good news of dad coming home, you know, the the things that he's bringing, the, the forgiveness that comes with him. Satan wants us to focus on the fear and the dread and the things that we've done wrong rather than on the forgiveness and mercy and uh, life-giving work of Jesus Christ that takes away that fear and gloom. And so we always need to be a careful and aware of that as christians that christ's second coming is good news for us and we need to encourage one another with that good news you know christ is coming soon uh come lord jesus
1: come quickly with repentant joy in uh, one of the prayers in divine service one uh, we have that line, and I, th- I think that summarizes very, very clearly what we're talking about here. We want to be repentant people. We want to be sorry for our sins, and yet we don't do this in a glo- doom and gloom way for exactly the reason you just stated. Christ has conquered sin, death, and the devil for us. This is good news. Our sins are forgiven. Our name is written in the book of life. This, this world that we live in that is so full of sin and toil and fear is coming to an end thanks be to god and yet we want to cling so tightly to the things of this world and
0: uh even even look at the people who haven't received it you know well that's not fair what about them they're in the other line uh you know god is giving us this great gift and we need to rejoice in that fact and not be distracted from it i interrupted you i'm sorry no, that's
1: that's all right i needed to be interrupted verse two i was just preaching uh verse two uh vicar for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night how can the apostle paul under the inspiration of holy scripture tell christians that they are fully aware that this is the way the end of the world is going to happen
2: well because under that same holy spirit they are inspired they are reminded of what jesus taught them and jesus himself taught the apostles that his return shall be like a uh, thief in the night and so that when this message this gospel is passed on they are not unawares they are not drowsy or asleep they are awake they are they know that jesus is coming back and so they look forward to it
1: so it's clearly taught in scripture yeah. Uh, if we just read the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, the words of Jesus, the words of the prophets, this is clearly taught. This is nothing new. Uh, this is no new teaching. Anybody that wants to tell you that end of the world kind of teaching and all that kind of stuff, while it may be distorted, while it may be uh, taken over by false prophets, uh, left behind kind of nonsense. um it is, it is clearly taught in Scripture. Pastor, what is also clearly taught in Scripture is this word picture that the Apostle Paul, he almost is doing kind of a John impersonation here with regard to all this darkness and light. Darkness and light. Darkness and light. What, what is this uh, teaching us, this darkness and light?
0: Well, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, first off, that he's echoing John because there was one teaching in the church, and we need to make sure that the idea is clear because a lot of people teach differently today.
1: Amen, amen, amen. (laughs)
0: Um, But uh, the darkness and the light thing comes from Christ himself uh, in his own preaching and teaching, and so both John and Paul are echoing that. And the light, of course, is faith in Christ, and the darkness is not faith in Christ, and everybody's in one camp or the other, and there's no
1: in-between, and and, uh, Paul's making that clear. Stay awake and keep sober. This is the bottom line message that the Apostle Paul is teaching us here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Stay awake and be sober. Um, Don't get drunk on the false teachings uh, or the allures of this world. And it says, but since we belong to the day, this is verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Pastor, what is this breastplate and helmet talk?
0: Well, um, again, I would say... He's saying, be ready. In other words, go to church. Uh, The breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope of salvation, all that comes to us, and, and God dresses us in that when we hear the word, receive the sacraments, and partake in the life of the church. And so again, it's saying the same thing that the other scripture lessons have said. Go to church. Be ready. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. You don't know. You need to be
1: ready all the time. The flaming arrows of Satan are being directed at your head and your heart. Um, you know, I can, I, I can, uh, I can survive a flesh wound. I can't help but think about, uh, uh is that Monty Python? It's only yeah. a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can survive a flesh wound, but if I get hit in the head or the heart, that's almost always fatal. <clears throat> and so I think, uh, you know, Paul uses this imagery toward the end of uh, the book of Ephesians as well. He expands on it even more, but the, the helmet and the breastplate, that which protects us uh, in our faith, is the word and the sacrament. Going to church, hearing the word, receiving the gifts. Uh, we cannot emphasize this too much because God's word emphasizes it over and over again. And I, I just want to close this section by saying, be hopeful. Be joyful, be encouraged by these words. No matter what you see going on in the world today with regard to plague or politics or economics or any of this stuff, God is God, and he is in absolute, complete control of all things, and he's coming. So stay awake and stay sober. Vicar, bring things to a close, would you, with the colic of the day for the last Sunday in the church here.
2: Let us pray. O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses that, from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: Amen, amen, amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, and Pastor Poppy. Um, Sunday morning when you get up, I just want to encourage you Please, go ahead, read your paper, drink your coffee. Uh, You live in this world, but as you live in this world, be reminded of what God's Word says. Stay awake and stay sober. Pray for your pastors. Go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. I leave you with the Bach Cantata 140. Wake awake, for night is flying.